You know, uh, we've been in this series for a couple of weeks. We've been calling it Here is Our King because we're trying to inspect who our true king is. This has been a year of mixed authorities. We've been following all kinds of different authorities at different times for different reasons, and we just need to remember who is our primary authority, who is our number one authority in life. And so I feel like it's important for us to get back to this basic idea of Jesus as the King of Kings. So we've been studying in the book of Matthew, and we've learned a number of different things about Jesus, who's the king greater than all other kings, the prophet greater than all other prophets. He's the lawgiver even. Last week we learned that Jesus was not just the lawgiver, but he's also the the giver of the new religion for his kingdom. And we covered some of that ground. But one of the things that we haven't covered yet is one of the things I started with. Do you remember the very first week we were in this series? I was talking about how our desire is to have a king who's strong. Not just a king who can sympathize with us. Not a king who's going to be kind all the time. What we really want is a king who's strong. We're even willing to put up with a bully as long as that bully is on our side. And one of the key reasons we want a strong king is that we know there's bad stuff in the world. And we want a king who can deal with it. We want a king who can solve it. We want a king who can rescue us from it. We want a king who's going to judge the bad stuff in this world. In the Old Testament, Moses went to his people and he said, God told me to get you out of here. And they're like, well, how's that going to happen? And what God did over the next however long it took is he consistently brought judgment on the people of Israel, uh, people of Egypt particularly, Pharaoh and his household. God would bring one plague after another. And as the judgment fell on Pharaoh time and time again, eventually Pharaoh got the picture that as long as he was doing something against God's will, God was going to keep bringing judgment on him. And so Pharaoh changed his mind. He said, okay, fine then. I'm going to go along with what God wants and I'm going to let these people go. And the people escaped and they left and they went to the mountain where they got the Ten Commandments and eventually the laws for how to behave as a new kingdom. And then eventually they got the laws for how to worship and how to do religious stuff as this new community, this new nation. But something happened at the end of the formation of Israel that takes us all the way back to Egypt. Moses' final sermon was preached in the form of a book that we call Deuteronomy. We looked at it a number of years ago, and I want to share with you a key passage from it. It's pretty long, but Follow with me along because this will make sense. Here we go. In that book, Moses writes to the people or speaks to the people. He says these things. If you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. Remember that God is the God who brought curses and plagues and punishments on Pharaoh. And now Moses says, the God who judged Pharaoh is the God who's able to judge you. You will be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed. And the crops of your land and the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. You will be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses and confusion and rebuke in everything you put your hand to until you're destroyed and come to sudden ruin because of the evil you have done in forsaking him. The Lord will 
will plague you with diseases until he has destroyed you from the land you are entering to possess. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease, with fever and inflammation, with scorching heat and drought, with blight and mildew, which will plague you until you perish. The sky over your head will be bronze, the grounds beneath you, ground beneath you iron. The Lord will turn the rain of your country into dust and powder. It will come down from the skies until you're destroyed. We think of God as a God who protects and preserves his people while he judges the others. We want a king who protects and preserves his people while judging the others. We want a God who would do that for us, protect us, but judge all the other people. But in the book of Deuteronomy, God is very clear that he judges, period. And it doesn't matter whether you are in or out of his family, his judgment falls. And just as his judgment fell on Pharaoh, his judgment would also fall on his own people if they too disregarded his way of doing things. Now, if Jesus is giving us a new kingdom, and if Jesus is giving us a new way of living, a new relationship between us and God, if Jesus is giving us a new religion to follow, then he probably should also be the king who is giving us a new understanding of judgment. And wouldn't you like to hear Jesus say something like, I'm no longer going to treat you as harshly as my father promised in the Old Testament? that harsh treatment is over. Wouldn't you love to hear Jesus say something like that? Or, or what the people of his day wanted to hear is they wanted to hear Jesus say something like, all the people who aren't my followers, those are the people who are going to get treated harshly. Those are the people that my father will judge. But you, I love you guys and you're okay. The problem is that when Jesus does his Deuteronomy moment in chapter 7 of Matthew, when Jesus begins to address the issue of judgment, he addresses it again, as we have seen before, backwards. And so what I want to do is take you into Matthew 7 today and show you this, but I'm going to give you kind of the punchline right up front. Those people who are citizens of this kingdom are going to be people who are judged by how they judge. No longer is God's judgment based on whether you're in or out. No longer is God's judgment based on whether you do all the right things that I tell you to do and whether you miss the things that I tell you not to do. You know, God's judgment isn't going to be based purely on all these things. His judgment is going to be based primarily on how you judge. God's judgment for his citizens is based on how they judge. Let me show you what I mean. In verse 1 of chapter 7, it says, Do not judge or you too will be judged. You've heard this before, right? Maybe you haven't put it together in the same kind of context before, but you've heard this phrase. People use it all the time. Don't judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now what's most interesting about this phrase, this, this lesson that Jesus is giving us, is that it's exactly the way we think the world should work. Right? We think the world should operate on a basis of fairness. How I treat you is how you should treat me, and how you treat me is how I should treat you back. We believe this world should operate on the principle of reciprocity. What you do for me, I do back. 
Whether you do good to me or bad to me, I do the same thing back to you. You were a kid once, and some of you have even raised children. And when the one child punches the other child, the question is always, well, who hit whom? And the answer is always, he hit me first, right? And as long as the other person did the first action, then I'm justified in anything I do following, just so long as my reaction is commensurate with their action, right? That's the way we feel the world should work. If I judge you harshly, I should expect that you will judge me harshly. We expect the world to work that way. And if you judge me harshly, you should expect harsh judgment from me too. There's there's just a little problem with that. Because the Jesus who just gave us this principle that sounds like a normal principle did something of a twist with it. Did you notice? What he said is, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And what Jesus is saying there, he doesn't use the word there, but what he's getting at is not that other people are going to judge you this way, but that your heavenly Father is going to judge you that way. You see, Jesus is the one who just a few verses ago Just a few verses earlier in chapter 5 told us this. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. We want to live in a world of reciprocity because it makes more sense to us. How you treat me is how I treat you. If you judge me harshly, I judge you harshly. But Jesus is the one who breaks the pattern of reciprocity when he says, whatever they do to you, don't do it back. Whatever they do to you, give them opportunity even to do more. Don't fight back. Don't resist. This is a very difficult passage for us to try to live out in our lives. I understand that. But let's put it together with this whole judgment idea. You see, if you treat me harshly and I'm not allowed to respond to you, harshly. If you judge me harshly, and I'm not allowed to judge you back harshly, then who does? Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, do not judge or you too will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Do you think that applies only to you? Or does it also apply to the person who's mistreating you? You see, what Jesus is trying to say is, you don't need to be the judgmental, vindictive, vengeance-oriented person like everyone else in the world. You don't need to be that because your heavenly Father is already paying attention to what's going on in this world. And if you treat someone harshly, he's going to treat you harshly. And if they treat you harshly, he's going to treat them harshly harshly, right? In other words, I am liberated from the judgment that takes me to the place of vengeance because I can be a citizen of this kingdom and leave all that vengeance up to God. I don't have to be a person who bears the burden of judgment on my shoulders. He's not saying don't judge or you will be judged in some sort of transactional way. What he's saying is stop worrying about the vengeance. Because God is the one who brings the vengeance. God is the one who brings the results. You don't have to do it. 
You can leave it in his hands. Now, what a lot of Christians do with that is they, they flip it. You know, they, they say, oh, Jesus said, do not judge or you will be judged. And so what that means is I am supposed to suspend evaluations on all people. I should never evaluate another person. I should never judge another person, their behavior, their motives, or anything like that. And frequently what we do is we even go one step farther with that. What we do is we judge other people for judging us. They will judge us and will say, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're not allowed to judge me because Jesus said don't judge, right? What we do is we take the command that Jesus intended to liberate us from our desire of vengeance and we turn it against the other person as a new way of holding something against them. So what do we do? Do we avoid all judgment? Is that what Jesus is saying? Do we judge other people who are too judgmental? Is that what Jesus is saying? Well, as a matter of fact, what Jesus says next gives us incredible insight into this whole world of should I judge another person and how? He says this, take a look. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What is great about this passage is that it lends itself to exceptional illustrations for children's workbooks in Sunday school and places like Kidopolis. Because it's so amazing to look at a drawing of a person with a log sticking out of their eye while they are trying to get a speck of dust out of someone else's eye. I love those pictures. When I was a kid, I remember this being one of my favorite stories because of that picture that I got to color of a giant log sticking out of a person's eye. I thought it was hilarious. What's fascinating about it, though, is that this has so much more meaning for us today. But once again, Christians, when they read this passage, church people, when they read this passage, we do exactly the opposite thing. Pay close attention. What did Jesus say? He said, why do you point out the speck of dust in your brother's eye when you've got a plank in your own eye? Deal with your plank first and then deal with your brother's speck. Deal with the issue your brother is facing. Go ahead and help him. Jesus doesn't say, don't evaluate your brother or sister in Christ. Jesus say, if someone else you know has a speck of dust in their eye, don't leave it alone. If they've got a little piece of broccoli stuck in their teeth, if their fly is down, if their hair is messed up, you tell them, right? But you can't tell another person to get the broccoli out of their teeth if you are literally walking around with a snot ball dragging from your nose. You can't do that. That's hypocrisy. Jesus doesn't say, let them live in their broccoli teeth world. What he says is, wipe your nose. You see, what we do with passages like this is we find new ways to judge other people. Right? I hinted at it before. But maybe you felt this way before. Someone comes up to you and they identify something about you they think is wrong. They offer you some criticism. They offer you some, some comments that says, you need to change this behavior in your life. 
And you hear that and you immediately react negative. You don't want to receive that criticism. You don't think that criticism is justified. In fact, you think that other person might actually be telling you some truth, but they're definitely the wrong person to be telling it to you. Because they, oh my goodness, you know what they've done. And so you use the most amazing phrase that in 2020 has been one of the most important phrases. But what about? What about you? You can't criticize me for that because look at you. Look at all the stuff you've, going on in your, you've got going on in your life. Listen, man, I've read the Bible and Jesus tells me that you can't look at my speck when you've got a plank. Did you hear what I just did? I just judged that other person. I just accused that other person of having a log in his or her eye, a plank in his or her eye, while I myself have determined that mine is just a speck. Jesus doesn't give you this passage as a new weapon. He doesn't give us this passage as a new way of judging other people. You are the wrong person to judge me. He doesn't say that. Instead, the whole point of this passage is for Jesus to specifically say that citizens in his kingdom always judge themselves first. Citizens of his kingdom always judge themselves first. Okay, so let's just cover a little bit of ground here. We started with the statement that citizens of this kingdom will be judged by how they judge. And then we immediately learned that we can be free from the vengeance kind of judgment. But now we've learned that our judgment has to start with ourselves. And listen, after you've judged yourself Please help your friend get the broccoli out of their teeth. Please help your friend get that speck out of their eye, the splinter out of their finger. Go ahead, help them, offer yourself to them. Even if they aren't willing to accept your help, go ahead and offer it. And if they accuse you of having a log in your eye, you immediately flip and say, you're right, I might have a log in my eye. I'll spend a few, more time, a few more moments, a few more weeks reflecting and thinking about that and praying about that, and then I'll come back to you once I've dealt with my stuff. It's okay. God's a God of eternity. He can wait a few weeks. Citizens of this kingdom always judge themselves first. But you know what? If you've... If you've been in church for a while, you might have gone through this far in the passage, this far in Matthew chapter 7, and thought to yourself, okay, I'm just going to play it safe and never judge any other person. I asked you the question today if you thought you were a good judge of character. And the reason I asked you that question is because Jesus tells you you need to be. In fact, Jesus in the very next section will go ahead and tell you exactly what you need to be judging what you need to be looking out for. Let me show it to you. But before I do, I want to just give it to you in the way I would say it. It's this. Citizens of the kingdom have to judge whom they can trust. Citizens of this kingdom need to judge whom they can trust. Let me show you. This is what Jesus says in chapter 7, verse 6. Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. 
If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Listen, it's well known that pigs are violent creatures. We have tried to domesticate them, but what we really do is we put them outside in a muddy place where they can be happy, and we try to leave them as much alone as we possibly can. Every now and then you get a miniature pig that someone brings into their house and they treat it like a pet, but that's because it's a miniature pig. If it were a large pig, that thing has a particular attitude towards life, and it goes like this. Can I eat it? It's the only thing that matters. Mud? Sure. Can I eat it? Let's try. Garbage? Sure. Can I eat it? Let's try. Human being? Sure. Can I eat it? Let's try. In fact, um, farmers, I, I don't want to say regularly, but it's not, an, it's not an exceptionally rare occurrence for a farmer to be killed and eaten by his pig or pigs. They are absolutely violent creatures because they only care if they can eat. And if you throw some pearls to a pig, it's going to try to eat those things. It's going to quickly realize these things are not food. And then notice that you are. And Jesus knows this. And he brings it up to his people in front of him. He says, listen, don't give pearls to pigs because they're not going to be satisfied by those pearls and they will be satisfied by you. So don't do it. Now, of course, in his day, dogs also were not pets. They were not domesticated the way we domesticate dogs. They were mostly just strays wandering around in the city. And so you would never give a dog something sacred because then that thing is going to get carried around through the dirt and, and get all muddy and stuff. Our problem when we hear this passage is we do things like this. Oh, Jesus is telling me I need to identify the people who are dogs. And I need to identify the people who are pigs. And I need to treat them like dogs and pigs. And it's that last little bit that Jesus didn't do. He said, yeah, there are dogs and pigs out there. And you need to change your behavior with regard to those dogs and pigs, but you're not supposed to treat them like dogs and pigs. What you're supposed to do is just stop giving them the precious things of your life. See, this is interesting. You've got a lot of precious things in your life. You've got your time. You've got your emotions. You've got your thoughts. You've got your attitudes. You've got yourself. How many times have you given something precious of yourself to someone who didn't deserve it? To someone who couldn't be trusted? See, that's the problem with the dog and the pig. You don't know what they're going to do. You give, a, you give a pig some pearls, it doesn't understand the value, and you don't know what it's going to do. You give the dog something sacred, and, and it's not going to understand the value, and you're not going to be able to predict what it does. These are untrustworthy things that you have given something very precious to. Have you ever done that? Have you ever given something precious to someone who really shouldn't have been trusted with it? Are you in that moment right now? Have you allowed someone to have authority over an aspect of your life where they have the potential to destroy you? And you keep giving them what's valuable. You keep giving them what's precious to you. Listen, that's a, that's a major problem that we all face. 
the judge of character to understand whether or not I can trust a person. But Jesus here is telling you, you need to do that. Because citizens of his kingdom are going to carefully ask the question, who can I trust? And even more appropriately, to whom will I give authority over my life? You see, right? Jesus is the king. And he serves his heavenly father. And you can trust this king, and you can trust your heavenly father. But can you trust the people around you with the most precious things in your life? Far too often we put our precious things in the hands of people who don't deserve it. Maybe that's you today. And maybe today's your day to say, no, I will no longer put the most precious things in my life in the hands of another person. I'm going to let Jesus and only Jesus have that level of authority over me. Well, let's keep going. Because in, in verse 7, it feels like things are changing. It, it feels like they're a little bit out of the blue. And so I want to race through this section and then do it a second time, and hopefully you'll see why. In verse 7, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. You've heard this before. You've heard this before in a context where people usually say, See, ask God persistently for whatever it is you want, and he will give it to you. You know, just keep pestering God and he's going to give it to you. Or maybe someone who's not a Christian, who's not a spiritual person, they would use this principle in just everyday, average, ordinary life. Just keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing, and eventually you'll get what you're looking for. Let's see what it says next. It says, well, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Okay, so now we're talking about God giving gifts, but keep going. He says, so in everything, do unto others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. And it's verse 12 that gives us the insight into what actually is going on in this little paragraph here. Because we take it out of context so often without verse 12, right? We will take it in the context of God wants to bless you. God wants to bless you. So ask, so seek, so knock. God wants to bless you. And just search out for God to bless you. Yeah, it's such a great thing. God is going to bless me. And we just avoid verse 12. Why? Because verse 12 doesn't fit with the God is ready to bless you narrative. Verse 12 is telling us something different. Verse 12 is telling us, okay, the golden rule. Do for others what you would have them do unto you. I understand that one. The golden rule fits with the earlier verses. You know, the verses before verse 7. The don't judge lest you also be judged. The golden rule fits with those ones. The golden rule also fits with the, with the verse about the, the swine and the dogs. You know, you're, you're going to treat other people the way you want to be treated. You know, but it doesn't fit with this except for one little tiny problem. And that's the word that begins the sentence. So. You see, when Jesus says these words, he says verses 7 through 11 because he's trying to make the point of verse 12. Man, I was wrestling through this last week. I was like, what in the world? How does, how does 7 through 11 relate to 12? Why would Jesus use the word so? You know what so means? So means that because of these things I've just said, I'm now going to give you the point. 
Somehow 12 is the point of 7 through 11. And as I was thinking through it, I gave myself a joke phrase. I was like, okay, well, here's, here's just a joking phrase. Let's see where this takes us. And turns out it fits the whole section. The joke phrase that I initially wasn't very serious about says this. You get whatever you want. Ask, seek, knock. Let's go back to that. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. You get what you want. That fits. That phrase fits, right? For everyone who asks, does receive. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, the door will, you get what you want. That's actually a good summary of that. But look at, look at the next section also. He said, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So you ask God for something good, and he's going to give you something good. It, whatever you ask for, you are going to get. It's, it's just that in the second section, there's a little bit of a caveat And the caveat is now the gift has to be good. Because your Father in heaven is good. And so he's not going to give you something that's bad. So in the first section, it's a general principle that basically applies to most of life. If you push hard enough, you're going to get what you're pushing for. If you strive hard enough, you're going to achieve what you're striving for. People in our country have a a tendency to, to believe that. If I just work hard enough, I'm eventually going to get what I'm working towards. But it's that second one that's like, no, but I'm not going to do it. What I'm actually going to do is I'm going to bring it to God and I'm going to let God filter it for me. So what do I want? I want God to filter things. I want God to filter only the good things into my life. And guess what? I get them. When I ask God for the good things, I get the good things. That doesn't mean I'm always getting the happy things. That doesn't mean I'm always getting the pleasant things. That means I'm getting the good things. I ask God to filter all the things, and Jesus gives me a promise, a guarantee that, yes, I will receive a filtered set of things. And so, because you get what you ask for, because when you ask for God to filter the things He does, because of all that, I now charge you to treat other people the way you want to be treated because you get what you ask for. And if I treat other people poorly, I'm going to get what I've asked for. And if I treat other people well, I'm going to get what I've asked for. You see, Jesus is using this final thing as the real thing. He wants you to treat other people the way you want to be treated because how you judge is how you will be judged because what you put out there is what comes back to you and you're going to let God filter all the stuff and so then you also need to let God filter the stuff coming from you too. Jesus is actually saying the same thing in this section as he's saying in all the rest of it. But he's saying that you need to trust that God is up to something and he knows what he's doing, even in that other person, you need to trust God's judgment, not yours. I'm not going to judge who you are and let that determine how I treat you. 
I'm going to let who you are determine how I treat the relationship. I'm going to let it determine how much authority I give to you in my life. But it's not going to change how kind I am. It's not going to change how nice I am. It's not going to change how helpful I try to be. Because even my enemies I need to pray for and love. So I'm going to trust God's judgment. I'm going to trust God's judgment in your life. I'm going to trust God's judgment in the things of this world. I'm going to let him filter them all out. And I'm no longer going to judge the things that I shouldn't be judging. Okay, so we've made it most of the way through this chapter. But when we get to the end of the chapter, Jesus gives the part of it that is the most painful, the most challenging, the most difficult, and the most uncomfortable. Jesus is about to tell us That if you judge improperly, you cannot be a citizen of his kingdom. Do you remember in Deuteronomy where God said, if you don't do what I've asked you to do, then I will judge you and remove you from the land? Jesus is going to say, if you don't judge properly, you never get in. Those who judge improperly cannot be citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Let me show you. In verse 13, he says this. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. See, in one aspect, you need to judge the gate, the path. There's a path that's going to lead to destruction, and there's a path and a gate that's going to lead to life. And Jesus is calling you to judge properly between those two. But I want to highlight for you that if there's two kinds of paths, there's also two kinds of people. There are those people who are on the narrow path, and there are those people who are on the wide path. And if you improperly judge who you're following... You're going to be on the wrong path. Jesus gives us two categories of people that we need to watch out for. Check it out. He says this, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Pause here for just a moment. I was raised in a Christian church, Christian environment. I went to a Christian school my entire life. I've never been to a public school. I went to a Christian kindergarten, preschool, elementary school, middle school, high school, college, and then graduate school, all Christian schools. I've been in church my whole life. I've been in Christian school my whole life. And I've heard people repeatedly talk about what does Jesus mean when he says the phrase false prophet. And usually we think in the terms of the Old Testament false prophets. The Old Testament false prophets in our minds are the ones who worshiped false gods. They were the prophets of the false gods. And if you think that about false prophets, then you're immediately going to say, oh, we don't have any of them today because we don't have people who are overtly worshiping false gods and trying to get you to do the same. 
Now, granted, the gods that we worship today are just as bad and just as false as the gods they worshipped back then. We still worship fertility. We still worship money. We still worship the natural world. We still worship power and authority. We just don't give it names and build idols and temples to these things the same way they used to. But nonetheless, we hear the phrase false prophet and we think something that's not what Jesus meant. You see, Jesus at this time was acting like a prophet, right? He was trying to help people get connected to God. He was portraying himself as a person that if they knew him better, they would get to know God better. The false prophet isn't just the person who's predicting the future. The false prophet isn't the one who's necessarily following the right idol. The false prophet is the one who is doing something that helps you feel like by following them, you're staying close or getting close to God. Jesus says, beware of false prophets. They don't have to be a teacher. They don't have to be a guide. They just have to be a person that you look at them and you think they're one of us. And you think they're doing it all right. And you think I should be able to pay attention to them, follow them wherever they're going. But, Jesus says, no matter how they look on the outside, inwardly they are wolves. And so you don't recognize them by their teaching. You don't recognize them by their lifestyle. You recognize them by their fruit. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. You have to pay attention to people enough to judge what fruit is coming from their lives. The people around them, are they people who look more like Jesus? The people around them, are they people who are trusting God more? The people around them, are they people who have given up on vengeance? The people around them, are they people who look like citizens of the kingdom? Or do they look like this person? Judge them by their fruits. See, Jesus is still saying judge. Because there are two kinds of people. There's one kind of person, the false prophet, who's going to end up being thrown into the fire. They don't make it into the kingdom no matter what they look like. They might look like citizens of the kingdom, but they don't get in. They get thrown into the fire. But there's another person that he's indicating in here. Did you hear who they are? It's you. It's me. It's any of us who might be prone to following one of these false prophets. Any one of us who might be prone to following them, we are also the ones who will follow them all the way into the fire. Because narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life. And only a few find it. And just to make his point extra clear, Jesus adds this. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. 
There are two kinds of people. Those on the broad path and those on the narrow path. One of the types of people on the broad path is the false prophet. They look like a person who can help you get closer to God, but they're not. The other kind of person on the broad path is you and me. Those of us who think we're doing the right thing. Those of us who think we have a relationship with God. Those of us who've even prayed and God answered our prayers in miraculous fashion. And we will feel like we're doing it right. It's those other people who are doing it wrong. We will feel like we're on the good place. We're on the good path. We're on the, going through the narrow gate. And it's all those other people who have it wrong. We have the tendency to think, I'm good, they're not. But those are the people who look at Jesus at the end of time and say, but Lord, and he says, what's your name again? Who are you? Sorry, I, I, I don't know. I've just, I've just never met you. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to, for right now, not add you to my friends list and we'll just you know, let you go to the lake of fire. You see, judgment happens but it doesn't happen based on whether or not you've ticked all the boxes. It happens based on how you judge. Yes, there's some ways you need to judge the people around you. What kind of fruit is coming from their lives? Is this person trustworthy enough to get some of the precious parts of my life in their hands? Is that person someone that I can trust to actually help me get closer to God? Or is that a person that I shouldn't trust in those ways? Yes, you need to judge the people around you to this extent. But beyond that, you need to judge yourself first, always. See, when, when it really comes down to it, the phrase Jesus said at the very beginning is the phrase that carries all the way through. Don't judge or you will be judged. The sad truth is you will be judged. I will be judged. Every single one of us will be judged. So the question isn't, how do I avoid judgment? The question is, how do I do it right? And citizens of Jesus' kingdom will always judge themselves first. They're going to leave room to God for vengeance. They're going to evaluate the people around them, yes, but they are always going to judge themselves first. Right now, as I go through this, there might be some of you who are thinking, you know, I've got a relationship with a person that really shouldn't have that much authority in my life. I've got, a I've got a person in my life, I shouldn't treat them like a pig or a dog, but I definitely should stop throwing to them the precious parts of my life. Maybe as you judge yourself, that's something that you see. Maybe as you judge yourself, you see yourself as a very judgmental, vindictive person. And there's some people in your life that you need to forgive, that you need to contact those people and say, listen, I'm letting whatever was between us go. And I'm done holding that bitterness. I'm just going to let it go. And I want you to know that I'm going to do my best to love you like Jesus loves me. 
Maybe for you as you judge yourself, you see yourself as a judgmental person and you need to address that. Maybe as you judge yourself, you see yourself with some major planks in your eye, some major flaws, some major faults, some things that really need to be dealt with. Maybe you see yourself as a person who has too casually walked along the path, whether it be wide or narrow. You don't even know. You don't even really care. You've been taking your relationship with God for granted. You've gone to church. It hasn't really sunk into your heart. Whatever it is, as you judge yourself, you begin to realize that you've got some major flaws, some major issues that need to be dealt with. Maybe you're in one of those places today. And I got to tell you, judging yourself, judging myself, it's not a pleasant place to be. It's difficult, it's painful, and all of that. And when we get into that place, the reason it's difficult and the reason it's painful is that it usually makes us feel really poor, really spiritually weak, really spiritually empty. You feel, I'm not worthy. I can't measure up to God's standards, I can't possibly reach His level of perfection. I'm just, when it comes to my spirit, I'm just poor. And if that's you today, congratulations. Because you just made it. Remember, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Jesus doesn't want you to judge yourself so that you end up in a perpetual state of guilt. He wants you to judge yourself so that you end up in a permanent state of poverty so that you can have the kingdom of heaven. In a permanent state of hunger so that you can have a righteousness beyond yourself. What Jesus wants for you is that you give up on the need to have a God who judges your enemies and you embrace the glory and the joy of being a person who judges yourself and experiences the freedom of a God who loves you anyway. The freedom of a God who will lift you up into his kingdom because of your poverty of spirit. To enter into the freedom of a God who would say, yes, that's what a citizen looks like. Because it's out of that place that you can give all of the precious things in your life to the only one who has authority and can be trusted. That's Jesus himself. It's in that place that you can say, Jesus, my life belongs to you. If that's you today, I encourage you to pray that. I encourage you to tell God that today, tomorrow, every day for the rest of your life. Say, Jesus, I am poor. When I evaluate myself, I fall far short. And so I am poor in my spirit and I ask for you to give me the righteousness that is beyond myself. Forgive me for my own weaknesses, my own failings, and let me enter into the kingdom of heaven so that I can experience your riches and not my own. If that's you today, pray it. If that's you tomorrow, pray it. If that's you for the rest of your life, pray it. And let us be people who enter into the kingdom together. Because citizens of this kingdom always judge themselves first because how you judge is how you will be judged. Let me pray for you. Thanks for listening to this message from Lafayette Community Church. We are all about helping you live the life 
You were made to live. God made you. God loves you. And his plans for you are perfect. So if you are anywhere near Lafayette, Indiana, join us this weekend at one of our worship gatherings. And wherever you are, check us out online at lafayettecommunitychurch.com.